outside a COVID testing facility in the Tom Clarkson Manor, it's F1 Nation with TC and me. This week, we take a closer look at the Honda withdrawal with F1 senior writer Lawrence Barreto. And after seven years away, we talk you through the do's and don'ts of the Nürburgring. And now, to continue this intro, Tom Clarkson. There's been no Formula One race this weekend, but Formula One never sleeps. And we certainly don't here on F1 Nation. So let's talk about all these news stories that have been breaking in the last seven days with me, Tom Clarkson. And me, Alex Jakes. So AJ, we had a weekend off, my man. Was it a weekend off for you? It was, but that leads to that leads to different problems, you know. So first of all, you go you go to the pub, you maybe go out to a nice restaurant, and then suddenly you start looking round. In my case, the flat. I go, how long's how long's the sink been like this since July? First week of Ju- that'd be Austria then. Okay, that that's my fault. That's my fault. And the longer I spent in the flat, I was like, it's a lot of things that I said I would do during lockdown, original lockdown, that I didn't actually complete, like painting the rooms. And uh, you know what? We could really do with the Grand Prix appearing next weekend. Well, AJ, I get quite a lot of, when's the next race? <laughs> Just remind me, when, when's the next race? Not long, love, not long. Nah, but it was nice to be at home and recharge the batteries after what's been a pretty intense few weeks. And of course, we're going a little bit more intense. We've got a Nürburgring next weekend, and then it's a double header of Portugal and Imola. So loads to look forward to. But... But, AJ, as I said at the top, Formula One never sleeps. And we've just gone and had, on this off week, one of the biggest news stories of 2020. Honda pulling out of Formula One at the end of 2021. That was a biggie. It's a biggie, and it was a surprise as well. I think everyone got about 20 minutes notice that there was going to be a press conference from headquarters and you know, when it's a press conference from headquarters, it is going to be a, an announcement that I think is a, is a real shame for Formula One. And I remember in the press conference last weekend in Russia, Tanabi San, who's in charge of the Formula One program, was asked, can you tell us a little bit more about Honda's future in Formula One? And he stuck his hands up and said, I'm just the technical guy. I don't know about these things. And I remember thinking at the time, you could have given us a little bit more there if there was more to be said, at least if it was positive. So, yeah, for Honda are off. But good news as well. There's been good news for the Ferrari juniors. Now, we love a bit of Formula 2 on F1 Nation. We love a bit of Mick Schumacher, Callum Eilert, Robert Schwartzman. And they, I mean... Over to our Formula 2 correspondent, Alex (laughs) Jakes. But they've had some good news, haven't they? They've had some good news. All three of them were testing a 2018 Ferrari in the last week. And the reason they're doing that is that if your name is Callum Eilert or Mick Schumacher, you're taking part in FP1 at the Nürburgring. If you're Robert Schwartzman, you've got to wait until the end of the year, but not too far to go for Robert. What's nice about that is that Ferrari for a long time didn't have a junior program. Now they are leading the way with junior drivers knocking on the door. And what an opportunity. It's just like we've seen for Charles Leclerc and Antonio Giovinazzi. This is an opportunity to impress those in Formula One and get yourself on the grid for 2021. Well, and for Mick Schumacher, get to know those guys at Sauber Alfa Romeo because everything I'm being told is that it's Kimi Raikkonen and Mick Schumacher in that team next year. And there's, that's two big names. <laughs> I think from a marketing point of view, that's a win-win. 
And then you add into the fact that these two will be contending for the title, which is four races to go, all taking place in Bahrain across a one-week stretch. It sets up the finale to the Formula 2 championship brilliantly, and it creates, I have to say, from my point of view in commentary, it's not very difficult to explain when the guys have already been on the F1 weekend that it's the final rung on the ladder New talent knocking on the door in Formula One, exactly what we want to see. And as you say, at least one of them absolutely nailed on to make their debut in 2021. And of course, if Mick Schumacher does come on board at Alfa Romeo, that's going to mean that Antonio Giovinazzi is going to be out. Unfortunate, I think he's quick. I think he's had flashes of brilliance. I think he had a good weekend in Russia, actually, uh, 10 days ago. But when you've got someone like Mick Schumacher, the... The juggernaut that is Mick Schumacher coming up behind you. It's a pretty difficult one to stop if you're Antonio Giovinazzi, isn't it? I think a situation like Antonio Giovinazzi, there's some talk about Sergio Perez not making the grid next year. We've already had the situation with Nico Hulkenberg. To me, it speaks to the need to have more cars on the grid. Now, how you achieve that, that's its own debate. But I would love to see the teams I commentate in Formula 2, ART, Prima, Dams, proven, not just for one year, not just for five years, They have been proven for decades. I would love to see them with customer entries, single car teams, and being able to run drivers who perhaps without that uh, change in the rule book would drop off the grid. Because a Formula One grid with Hulkenberg, Giovinazzi and Perez is all the stronger. Agree with that. But is it ART we want to see in Formula One? Or what about three car teams? I think that'd be an exciting way to do it as well. I mean, would we rather see three Ferraris or two Ferraris and an ART? Given the budget cap, I think it would build a bridge between teams potentially being able to find their way uh, to a full entry if they were given basically a starter kit of ways of putting more cars on the grid, keeping more talent on the grid and allowing us to have the experience of a Perez with the excitement of a young Schumacher. It's advert time at F1 Nation. Today's advert is brought to you by Manscaped. They have a new product. It's called the Weed Whacker. It trims nose and ear hair. Manscaped is forever changing the grooming game with their Weed Whacker, is what it says in front of me. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Its intelligently contoured design enhances the trimming experience and it's waterproof. Just boxes being ticked all over the place. It's the only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable battery, which lasts up to 90 minutes. They've done it again! 90 minutes! Let's see what else they've got for us. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to. Delivering maximum confidence whilst providing hygiene. You will get a replaceable blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, I know that you're an F1 Nation listener, and that means you're an immaculately turned out person. But you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code F1Nation at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code F1Nation. And the people who wrote this ad would like to know what you are waiting for. And now, back to F1 Nation. So let's take a serious delve into the biggest story of the week. Honda leaving Formula One at the end of 2021. 
And there's no better person to talk to than F1.com senior writer, Lawrence Barreto. Let's delve into this one, Lawrence. What was your first reaction when you heard on Friday morning that this was happening? So timing wise, Tom, um, I was shocked. I wasn't expecting it to be the new drop at that point. Um, Honda have really improved since they've joined Red Bull. They got a podium, obviously, on the first time that they had with a team. They've got four victories, um, one with AlphaTauri as well. And I think at that point, they were on an upward trajectory. And when I last spoke to Masamai Yamamoto, the Honda chief, he was pretty confident about the fact that Honda would want to stick around. He wanted to win championships. That's what they're here for. So when the news dropped, I was surprised. But what I do know is that Yamamoto-san, he really had a hard time convincing the Honda board, basically every time they met, to stick around in Formula One. Uh, the board was often split and it was him who kind of had to just push it over the line to get that kind of consistent commitment. And that's why we only had a one-year extension to the the deal with Red Bull and AlphaTauri for 2021. So while I was surprised by the timing, I'm not entirely surprised they pulled out because he's always had to fight for it. And yet all the while this has been going on, they've committed longer term to racing in America. So what do you think the reasons are for this? I don't think that they were that happy with the way that the engine formula was going. Now, obviously, we don't know at this moment in time what shape the engine formula from 2026 is going to take. But I think their initial impression of the way that things were happening in Formula One just didn't simply sit with what they wanted going forward. I don't think that they enjoyed the success as quickly as they thought they were going to get it with Red Bull. Obviously, three wins or four wins is strong, but it's not as successful as they wanted to be with Red Bull. Red Bull have really struggled, I think, for several years now to really hit the ground running with a campaign. And I guess Honda would have thought at this point, um, we don't know how long it's going to take to win a world championship. And then you've got all these external pressures. You've got COVID. um, You've got the automotive industry just generally struggling. Um, and if you've always got a board pushing against you um, and they're putting significant amounts of money in, um, like hundreds of millions of pounds they're putting into this project, if you're consistently doing that and you're not winning and you don't feel like in the long term or at least in the medium term, you're going to change that, then I find that I'm not surprised that the Honda board and then the Honda chairman just decided that, right, you know, we've given it a good go. We've saved some face. Because obviously when they came into McLaren, they struggled so much. They've saved plenty of face. They just thought, well, this would be a good time to leave. Now, guys, I don't know whether you agree with me on this, but I think there's a case of history repeating itself here. This reminds me so much of 2008. Okay, we're a couple of months earlier. It was December 2008 when they pulled out overnight. We're obviously uh, into October now. But I've got this feeling that Red Bull are just about to get their act together. They're convincingly the second best team in Formula One this year. We've got, they're going to, I think, continue to close the gap in 21. And then in 22, significantly, we've got this huge rule change. Adrian Newey is back at the team, 100% focused on that. That struck me as a brilliant opportunity for Honda to to make hay and get that world championship. And yet now they're going to pull out. I mean, do you guys agree with me on that? I think that Red Bull are in a good position. But how many times have we said that at the start of the year, Tom, that Red Bull are in a good position to take advantage? I think they, they've been flattered this year because Ferrari just haven't delivered and they've dropped way back. And so it's just made Red Bull look slightly better than I think in reality they are. Um, I think that 2022 and with Adrian Newey, as you said, hopefully taking more of a front seat in the development. It's a great, it's a great thing for Red Bull, but I, I still don't think that was enough 
to convince the Honda board that Red Bull were going to make that step. And I suppose that speaks volumes in many ways because they spent two years or will have spent two years with the team by the end of this campaign. They'll have spent some time with Alpha Tauri as well, got to know how Red Bull work, how they operate, the management. And so that's quite a good time frame to have made a decision um, in the medium term. I think what confuses me about it is that they had Max Verstappen at their disposal. And I think you have to take maybe a step back for the reasons that Honda were in Formula One in the first place that maybe leads to this confused attitude. Because we heard a lot during the McLaren era, didn't we? Oh, it's not there really for marketing reasons. It's not there to make the brand seem particularly special. It's there to train the next generation of engineers. But do you, do we think that that was just uh, a bit of PR spin? Because it makes no sense at this stage to me to have put in all the groundwork the engine rules are fairly stable for the next couple of years you've got a generational talent who you know you don't have to give the best engine to you can give an engine to that's competitive and you can still come away with the best title in motorsport to wander away from a max verstappen that's the thing that really confuses me about this. Do you think that they were worried about whether Max would stay? I know he's got a long-term contract, but we saw this year that you know sometimes contracts can be broken. And I, and I wonder whether um, they were just concerned that long-term Max were going to be looking away because how long is he going to want to stay at Red Bull if Red Bull aren't delivering him a car that can consistently give him a championship fight? And at the moment, since he's been there, he hasn't really had that, has he? All right. Well, why don't we delve a bit further into this then? What are the ramifications for Max Verstappen? I've got it on good authority. I don't know whether you guys have as well, that there are break clauses in Max's Red Bull contract that if he doesn't have a works engine in the back of that car, he can walk. So if that's the case, what options are available to him? Imagine, just imagine, if he ended up in a Mercedes next year. Lewis Hamilton has yet to sign for the team, but obviously I'm not being serious there. But what do you think Max will do now? I think Max is going to... Um, or Max and his team are going to be trying to talk to Mercedes. Of course, he's going to be on the phone to Toto. Um, I think that Lewis is obviously going to sign a new deal for next year, but I think Lewis will be in a very different place, say, in two years' time. And I don't think he'll be as against having Max next to him once he's got, what, eight, nine titles to his name by that point. I don't think he's going to be that devastated about having a driver of Max's capabilities next to him. He might even want to test himself one last time before he calls it a day. So I think that Max and Mercedes is a genuine option. You have to wonder about the frustration for Max Verstappen. He was 23 the other day, and I was like, how is he only 23? He feels like he's been around forever uh, and performing brilliantly. But eventually, 23 becomes 25, 25 becomes 27. If he's not even had a tilt at a title, there will be no, I can go long term with a project. He will want immediate results. And the fastest way to immediate results is, is Mercedes. Do Red Bull guys have any hope of turning this clearly difficult situation into a positive? Is there any route for them that that might keep them where they are as the leading contender? Well, I am just wondering, Alex, whether... I don't even know if this is a feasible option, but I do know that back in the day, they wanted to make their own engine, their own Formula One engine. And could they get that? could they get hold of the IP from Honda and just take over this engine, badge it a Red Bull and away we go. That's one option. You know, for something like that, you'd need someone who had a history of running a very successful engine department. Mm -hmm. yeah. If only someone like that was available. I know. Can you imagine? 
<laughs> of course, Alex is talking about Andy Cow, the boss of Mercedes, who is a free agent as of December the 31st. You couldn't make it up this. I mean, but on a serious note, I do know that they wanted that engine. And let's not forget that Red Bull's sales in 2019 was seven and a half billion cans. They've got a lot of money. And uh, Mataschitz, the teams, both Alpha Tauri and Red Bull, have gone out of their way to emphasize their long-term commitment to Formula 1. So I think that is one option for Red Bull. Another option is, I think, I can't see them reuniting with Renault. I think there's too much water under the bridge there. And I think... The only people who want that are the makers of Drive to Survive. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only people interested in that nonsense. Do Could you think of any reason why Mercedes would stop that why would mercedes not give them an engine i was just going to say that last time they asked they said no and last time they asked ferrari they said no so i don't i don't really know what's changed this time around to make any difference um unless so no, mercedes long-term future as a um as a works team is in doubt if they were to only become an engine supplier going forward that would free up a supply for red bull wouldn't it I think the McLaren supply deal slightly changes that from being a 100% no chance that they'd do it to if you're going to, given that it was fairly obvious from the rules that were proposed originally for 21, now 22, that Formula One was going to come back to a team like McLaren. That was always an interesting deal as soon as they said, OK, we'll give McLaren the engines. Um, I don't think it rules it out entirely, but you're never going to give your nearest competitor a chance to have access to your engines. I think that, I know that you said it, that you don't think Renault could happen, but I think for a short-term um, situation, I think Renault, they could do a deal with them because I think that Tom's idea of them creating their own engine is is a good idea, but they, they need several years to do that. And I don't personally think from what I hear that Honda are going to give them their IP. Um, so I think that they'll have to start from scratch. And I think that is something that someone like Andy Cow would probably like to do. But I think that's more of a long term thing, maybe looking to 2026 so they can hit the ground running when the new formula comes in, rather than trying to spend a ton of cash trying to catch up essentially on a full engine formula that's about to end um, to then have to restart another load of resource on a new project. Of course, what they could do is they could push that back. They could push that new engine formula back and stick with what they've got now if that's what it takes to keep Red, the Red Bull family in Formula One. I think it's uncharted waters now because they're going to have to make some really big decisions that potentially will impact two two teams on the grid um, and they can't afford, obviously, to use, lose Red Bull and Alpatari. And there's another thing that I think we need to discuss and that is Sergio Perez because I've got this feeling that Honda pulling out could help his chances of being signed by Red Bull for next year because the Red Bull management are going to be worried about losing Max Verstappen. He might jump to Mercedes replacing Valtteri Bottas in 2022, for example. So therefore, they're going to want to secure a good driver in case that were to happen and there'll be no top peddler available for 2022. And Perez is there. We all... I think the whole pit lane rates Perez. He's available for 21. So I, I say Julian Jacoby, Perez's manager, will have been on the telephone immediately to Christian Horner and Helmut Marco, just pushing his driver in their direction. I know that Jacoby pushed very hard when Daniel Ricciardo did a last minute withdrawal back in 2018 when he left the team. So it's not like it's the first time Jacoby's tried to get Perez in there. And I think this might help him. I think Red Bull really have to look at the way that they approach Formula One after Honda left or uh, leaving because it does raise certain questions like 
do they do they leave the driver pool now or do they not 100% rely on the driver pool and consider taking drivers outside I think that this is a good moment to potentially do that I think they really need to give the whole engine what they're going to do with that going forward because it's not as simple as we'll find a works partner we're good enough that someone will come because clearly we've seen several years now that just doesn't work I also think that they need to approach their do they have a number one driver and a number two driver um, and so those are three things that are Red Bull philosophy has always been, and I think they're going to have to really consider changing all three of those items. And I think, Tom, bringing Sergio Perez on board is a great idea. Whether or not that they're willing to to go against it and suck it up, essentially, I'm not sure if they are. Um, I think that Honda leaving has improved those chances because I think if Checo doesn't end up at Red Bull, I think he's out of Formula 1. I don't think he's going to get a seat at Haas or Alfa Romeo. So I think for the sake of having good drivers in Formula 1, I do hope it happens. I mean, let's just look at, at the facts, Loz, which is Red Bull's most successful driver to date, Sebastian Vettel, made his debut in Formula One with BMW Sauber. Mark Webber, next most successful driver on their books. Minardi, Jaguar, Williams, before getting there. Even Max Verstappen, their current superstar, wasn't part of the Red Bull Junior program, was brought in at the last minute just so that they could get him in the Toro Rosso. So I think they've got a history of, of taking drivers from outside. And in fact, when you, I mean, Helmut Marco's not going to, uh, I'm going to be off his Christmas card list for what I'm about to say, but you know. Does he even have a Christmas <laughs> well, card that's a very point. good point. <laughs> Maybe I'm not missing out at all. But anyway, I don't think, you know, I think there are a lot of question marks uh, around the Red Bull driver program in terms of, you know, who has actually come through that uh, driver development program and been a great success. Daniel Ricciardo, yes. Name me another one. I think there's two parts of the Red Bull driver program. So I think it was for a very long time identifying rapid drivers. And then in the last couple of years, maybe the last five or six years, it became something completely different where the academy didn't work in the same way. And it was basically a beneficial thing for a driver to have the Red Bull logo on the overalls. It was almost like an endorsement that you were part of the program. It wasn't quite the same thing that, that launched so many drivers up into Formula One. Uh, Pierre Gasly would argue that he's a race winner. I don't think that Red Bull are going to be helped by signing another driver who is stronger on Sunday than Saturday. And I think undoubtedly Sergio Perez is. And also, I actually think this could be an opportunity because on paper, we've painted out the options as being pretty rubbish for Red Bull as a result of this move. But I think this might give them a bit of a kick that they need. They have stayed very similar in terms of management structure for a very long time. Look at their response to Alex Albon struggling, was to bring back a previous race engineer for Daniel Ricciardo. I think if they want to go again, this is basically demarking a new era. Okay, we're going to have to dig really deep. We're going to have to make the difference with the car. We're going to have to park a philosophy. We're going to have to do something different. Yuki Sonoda, he could still go to Alpha Tauri next year, couldn't he? The reason that you asked that question about great drivers coming through and there might have been a pause that has been edited out, right, is because Red Bull have a history of promoting too soon. And having watched a lot of Yuki Tsunoda in Formula 3 and Formula 2, he's a great talent who needs another year. Uh, Was he going to get another year? No, it looked like he was going to be promoted. That is now thrown into question. What do we think, final word, on what they will do with drivers? Because that is within their control. Do we think that they will go outside the program or give Alex Albon another year? I think they're going to stick with Alex. I think that they've put their arm around him far more often than they normally do with a driver. I think at this point, 
it would hurt them more or it would damage their pride more to to let him go. I think they'll let him kind of see out the end of this year and hope that he can have at least a couple more good results so it makes it look better when they select him for next year. <laughs> I think that I think Sonoda is actually going to get the the shot, I think, at Alpha Tari. But I think Honda will be quite keen as their legacy to try and just give him a shot next year, whether that means more funding, whatever it means that they need to do to get him in the car. I think they're going to push really hard to do so. Um, and I think that's great for Formula One um, to have a, a Japanese driver in, in there and, in, and giving youth the chance again in that team because Christian described it as a sister team and they've got them, one of the most experienced lineups ever now. And I think they need to go slightly back to what they did and, and use that as a junior team more. And I'd love to see Yuki Sonoda step up. I agree with you about Yuki. And I think he just gets better and better by the race. So I think he will be given the nod uh, in place of Danny Kafir alongside Pierre Gasly at Alpha Tauri. I think it's 50-50 at the minute whether they keep Alex Albon at Red Bull Racing. I think they have given him a lot of support. I think they have seen enough now to know that, uh, that he's not going to be as quick as Max Verstappen on a Saturday. The experience of someone like Perez they could actually benefit from. And I think Max Verstappen could benefit from it as well. You know, you learn so much from having a competitive teammate alongside you, which Max hasn't had since Daniel Ricciardo left the team. But they will probably try, before they make that decision, I think they will try and find out from Verstappen what his long-term plans are. If they get a commitment from him for 2022 onwards, then I think that would probably lean them more towards keeping Albon. I think if it looks clear that he's going to jump ship to a Mercedes or wherever, then I think they might go for the experience of Perez. These days, particularly with the new rules coming in in 22, experience is going to be key that winter of 21-22. And I think if Red Bull lose Max Verstappen and end up with Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon as their driver lineup, I think they're going to be lacking from an experience point of view, giving the team a direction that they need to follow. And also, I think if they're serious about a constructors' title tilt, then I think they need that second driver to be experienced and to be to regularly be scoring solid points. And Checo is, has proved time and time again that he's capable of doing that. My impression is that they are after that driver title first, given the strategy which they're taking. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket there, aren't you? Yeah, you really are. All right, let's finish this section off by predicting what engine's going to be in the back of the Red Bull in 2022. As I've suggested it, I'll go first. I reckon it will be a Honda IP version, Mr. Andy Cow overseeing the program. I'm afraid I second that. I think it's a Red Bull, Red Bull, or whatever they're going to call it. I going to go different and I think it's going to be a Renault. I think that Cyril is going to have a heyday and he's going to absolutely love the scenario that he's been put in. And I think he'll happily let them have the engine and then watch them suffer. And how much do you think he'll charge them for it, Lawrence? <laughs> a lot of cash. <laughs> Our thanks to senior writer at F1.com, Lawrence Barreto. You can catch him across nearly every broadcast we have. The coming week at the Nürburgring. But let's take it back a step, TC. We are returning to the Nürburgring. First time since 2013. I absolutely love it, mate. And I, and I was over the weekend, taking us back to what we did over the weekend. I went out and got drenched a couple of times because I was just acclimatizing. Just, just a bit acclimatizing of prep. to the Nürburgring because I think the weather forecast is not great. I remember... I can, 19... uh, hold on. Can I just pick you up on that, TC? I think it is great. Given the expectations went as low as snow, I think the weather forecast <laughs> is looking brilliant. <laughs> I remember back in 1996, Jacques Villeneuve's first Grand Prix win. It was the fourth race of the season. It was April. 
that was cold. So I'm expecting those temperatures with rain this weekend. So it's going to feel, with a bit of wind chill, I think it's going to feel low single digits. Can't wait. We expect lots of drivers complaining about brake temps, tyre temps, you name it. Well, because we haven't been there since 2013, there may be some of you who are avid Formula One fans who watch week in, week out, and have no idea what the Nürburgring looks like, what to expect. And so it is time for the F1 Nation guide to the Nürburgring. Well, first up, it's an old school track in terms of runoff. There's lots of gravel. The barriers are quite close. It kind of reminds me of Suzuka in that way. So if you make a mistake or you have a car problem, you're going to be in the wall and you need a little bit of luck to keep it out. One guy who was unlucky back in 2007, Lewis Hamilton's first visit there in a Formula One car. It was Q3. He was going for the pole. He had a tyre failure through turn eight flat out left-hander and I'll never forget as he hit the barrier AJ his legs started jumping up and down mm. and he was asked about it after as well and it was just the adrenaline it was just the adrenaline he just gone headfirst into a wall at, at well in excess of 100 miles an hour but amazingly taken to the medical center started the Grand Prix the next day from 10th position and I think brought it home remember that chaotic race in the rain forget the new people who can't remember a race they think of the drivers that haven't raced in Formula 1 there they need to respect it. That's what this guide is for, you know, to get everyone up to speed with, you know, our listeners do include the good and the great of Formula One. And so a lesson from that year as well from Marcus Winkelhock. He started one Formula One Grand Prix and he led one Formula One Grand Prix. How? By gambling on the tyres. So we're on lap four. Marcus Winkelhock is still up there. Murray, we need to explain how uh, Marcus Winklehock happens to be leading this race. Now, before the race started, he actually went into the pits. What must have happened is when he was there, the Spiker team thought, right, we'll stick wet weather tyres well on. Well spotted. No. 2007 race dominated by bad weather. And if you want a wet weather race that goes down in the annals, think no further than Jackie Stewart, who hadn't even won a world championship by that point in his career. And he won on the Nürburgring Nordschleifer which is 23 kilometers long, just next door to the current track, 73 turns. He won that race in 1968 by four minutes, AJ. Terrible weather, and yet he showed bravery and skill that he has said, he's gone on record as saying he never achieved those heights of bravery ever again in his career. And a three-liter Formula One car around the Nürburgring was unbelievable. I mean, 13 times you took off uh, and you, you know these things didn't land as well as they took off uh, it, it was just that if I had never won the Nürburgring there would be something big missing from my career it is a sort of racetrack where it lends itself to a drive of the ages. It brings out the instinct. I'm thinking maybe of Michael Schumacher's brilliant drive to win in 1995. And also way back when, Fangio in 57. A lot of people said his greatest drive, but there is a lesson. If you've got a flat spot on the tyre, for goodness sake, come in and change it. Because this is the most fantastic finish to a Formula One race. Raikkonen is under real pressure. There it goes. The tyre, let's go. He just misses the VAR. And I said he should have pitted. I told you. It's a racetrack where world champions go really, really well. 17 world champions. I've just totted them up. 
have won at the Nürburgring. Combination of current track, old track. And I think there was one race, AJ, which I would love to see repeated. And in fact, we even discussed it with some of the drivers in Russia two weeks ago. It was about having a celebrity race <laughs> where they all drive the same machinery. And it happened at the first Grand Prix on the modern track back in 1984. The whole grid, plus a few stars from yesteryear, the sort of Denny Holmes, Jack Brabham's, John Surtees type characters, all jumped into some Mercedes 190Es, all identical cars. <laughs> And they all just went hell for leather. Nicky Lauda hadn't been able to qualify for some reason. Can't remember what. And so he charged from the back of the field to second place. In the lead now on lap three, Ayrton Senna, the 24-year-old Brazilian who took over Emerson Fittipaldi's car at the last moment. Alan Jones disappears into the pits. Reutemann and Lauda are fighting it out for second and third. But there was one guy, bit of an upstart, took it all a bit too seriously, maybe. But Ayrton Senna won that race in his first full season of Formula One. Amazing. So can you imagine if we had that today, this weekend? AJ, can you imagine commentating on that race this weekend at the Nürburgring? It'd be sensational. This is the campaign to bring back identical well, spec races for the F1 drivers. Both Sebastian Vettel and Charles Leclerc said in Russia, bring it on. Absolutely love to do that. Well, they're just desperate to drive something different this year, aren't they? <laughs> And so the final lesson of our whistle-stop guide to the Nürburgring circuit, old and new, is if you fancy winning the Grand Prix, and this still applies, you've got to stay away from Johnny Herbert. Because in 1999, everyone ahead of him found a way of ruining their race, spinning off, and like the seas parting, Herbert came through the chaos. Frenson and Fishy Keller has exited the pit lane. Frenson stops. He's lost the prop. Oh, and no. Coulthard off the road. David Coulthard has gone off. Wow. My God, this is unbelievable. There Danny he is. Fisichella. He stole he it, too. Matter. He's out of the race. He's out of the race. Schumacher leads. Giancarlo Fisichella retires the Benetton. But meantime, here's the man. Here is Ralph Schumacher. Off goes Schumacher. He, I can't I think keep he'll up recover with this from there, but I'm a bit concerned as to why the left front is up in the air. He's got a puncture. I think he's got a puncture, right rear puncture. And here is Johnny Herbert in the Stewart. Johnny Herbert in the Stewart turns into corner 13 and takes the chicken flag to win. And it could be a big weekend as well, AJ, because Lewis Hamilton can equal Michael Schumacher's win tally of 91 at Schumacher's home track just down the road from his home in Kirpin. It seems more fitting that it might happen at the Nürburgring than at Sochi and I think Hamilton will want to strike back hard after the disappointment of Russia and it's a track where he's gone very well in the past. So quick check TC, you've packed your coat and you've packed an umbrella. Well not an umbrella actually because remember with the Covid bubbles I'm not really allowed out. <laughs> so, so it can be hosing it down all at once. But I'm locked in a room in my bubble. But actually, there is a, a new thing on the COVID front happening. I'm going to attend a walk-in COVID centre at Heathrow on my way to the Nürburgring. So I'll let you know 
how that goes, whether it actually works. But uh, that's quite an exciting development if you can do it at Heathrow rather than having to drive to Biggin Hill or wherever else to get it done. And we'll bring you uh, more of Tom's COVID diary. Same time <laughs> next week. That is all the time we've got. <laughs> On this week's F1 Nation, send any comments, queries, questions, reviews. And whilst you're at it, why not subscribe as well? That is F1 Nation this week. We will speak to you next. Bye.